This is the Epilogue Audio Experience. Namaskar, I am Bhavna Somaya and welcome to yet another episode of Epilogue Media's Meri Kahani. My guest today is somebody who I can describe in many ways. She is a columnist, commentator, author, publisher, but most important, a rule breaker. In the 70s, when she launched a career, when film stars were revered like deities, she made dust out of them. Over the decades, she has commented on society, politics, economics, relationship in a fearless, candid way. When she turned an author, all her books turned to bestsellers. But always, for all the glory that came her way, there were certain cliches, certain accusations that followed her and still follow her. And for this episode, when I spoke to her and said that I want to do a story on her childhood, her adolescence, she said, no way, because Presenting bestseller Diva Shobhade, the dazzling Shobhade. Shobhade, welcome to our show. Thank you, Bhavna Ji. Thank you very much for inviting me. When I spoke to you and I told you that we will do a regular story like I do with the rest of them, you said you are not interested in all that. So obviously anything with you has to be different. So I was thinking last night of all the cliches that have surrounded you from the beginning of your career. So you began very young as a model. Everybody says that you are a model who stumbled into writing. Now, what do I say, Bhavna? Now, I feel like for one second mimicking you, all right, if I'm permitted to do it because Teda Meda, we are going to do it. So I'm not a model who stumbled into writing. Maybe I stumbled into modeling, which is more accurate. Because um, uh, writing was something I've sometimes uh, joke about it, but now I'm beginning to take it very seriously. Uh, people are born with a silver spoon in their mouth. I think I was born with a pen in my hand. So writing has been the one continuous uh, and very passionate and very committed aspect of my personality and of my life. Modeling happened as it happens a lot to young girls who are um, sometimes at the right place at the right time. And someone comes up to them and makes them an offer, which sounds interesting at the time. And I'm very glad that I did get that chance because it led to an opening up of a completely different world for a Maharashtrian middle-class girl from a bureaucratic background uh, to go from that in or straight on to become, well, even if I use that word um, a little sardonically, but in those days we didn't call ourselves supermodels. But I would imagine I certainly rated because I did every single top campaign at the time and was in every conceivable fashion show that was of any prestigious value at the time. And now when these old photographs keep popping back and people keep sending them to me, I cannot believe that I must have been shooting for a campaign practically three times a week. It was wonderful. I loved it. I traveled, met interesting people, acquired confidence and uh, yeah, became, I suppose, the person I am today to a large extent because of my experiences at that very early age. Also, because when you are multi-talented and multi-dimensional, it becomes a little difficult to choose one direct path. Because from what I know of your school uh, friends, they tell me that you were also very, very sportive. And you were also very, very uh, good in academics. 
So, you know, one didn't know really what career you were going to take in school days. I could have been P.T. Usha Bhavna had uh, I pursued that because I did hold national records. I did break national records. I was uh, an athlete. I'd won every single conceivable at that point um, athletic inter-school uh, tournament and uh, competition. I played for the state. I played hockey. I played basketball. So in college, I was more a jock than a model. And even today, when you ask me, I feel more like a jock. And my natural tendency is to be more, um, what shall I say, masculine, to use a better word, or more macho, or more uh, in that mode, like a bit of a vagabond. And so the modeling shaped me or made me self-conscious and more aware of being more, what would be called more womanly or feminine, though I hate this kind of gender stereotyping, but it was a requirement. If you want to be on the ramp, and I was essentially a sari model, I was required to have a certain poise and wear those saris gracefully, which I hope I continue to do even today. But I, I was much more an athlete who then, when I was selected for the nationals, my father decided that he didn't want his daughter to compete for the, in, in something that he couldn't quite understand. The same way that he didn't quite understand my decision to get into modeling. But modeling, I was staying at home and modeling uh, from my own residence and they could keep a tight control over my whereabouts. Uh, the nationals, I had to go to Patiala to compete and he just put his foot down. So that put an end to my PT Usha dreams with no regrets at all. You know, then you got into copywriting and everybody says that you were hired for your good looks, not for your talent. Well, uh, they still say say that about the books that I've been selling for the last, uh, that her looks sell her books on a one level are very flattered. If people are going to pay a good amount uh, for the book, which they may or may not read because they want to see a posted size picture of mine on the on the back jacket. Well, fantastic. But Nari Hira was hardly the kind of boss who would hire a lady for her good looks. And he was my first boss. And he did give me a, a very, very what, a stringent copy test before I was hired. And one of his preconditions was that if you are joining me as a copywriter, I expect you to be writing copy and you have to give up modeling. And I happily said yes, because I had done four or five years of modeling. I was ready for a change. And I hadn't gone to him to offer myself as a copywriter to start with. It was another one of those accidental things that I stumbled into. I went to his office for a modeling job. There was a lady going on maternity leave and she said, will you please stand in for me? That was Shilpa Shah Garden Varelli. And she said, just for three months, we were at college together. She was a senior. She knew that I was competent enough in English to hold the fort for three months. So, but Nari Hira would not hire someone because Shilpa Shah was saying she's good at English. So he did give me a copy test and I must have done pretty well for him to hire me at a princely salary of 350 rupees a month as a trainee. And he asked me, he said, how much are you earning as a model right now, a month? And I said, between 15 and 20,000, 25,000 a month. He said, well, you'll have to walk away from that. I hope you know what you're doing. I said, yes, I know what I'm doing. I know exactly what I'm doing. And he said, well, welcome on board. So it was one of a risk, but a risk worth taking. I love risks. I've always taken risks. And most of the time I've come out of that risk feeling, yes, I made the right choice. Then you did um, Stardust with Nari Hira and uh, you destroyed 
many superstars and they were all the time living in mortal fear of you well the funny thing bhavna is that i didn't set out to destroy anybody it was a a magazine that was clearly very different from the chamcha magazines at the time and the, my brief from nari hira was to humanize the stars and to give them a certain dimension that brought them down from their demigod and goddess status and it was irreverent but i don't think at any point it was that cruel to destroy anybody's career and just for the record i didn't meet any of the stars i didn't attend a single premiere i didn't go to a single film party and i still haven't been to a studio to watch a shoot which i'm hoping one of these days i can use your influence and manage to smuggle into a shoot and actually see what happens so i was very much the ivory tower um editor and there was a certain zing to stardust it was funny it was witty and yes we did uh, kind of give uh, certain labels to superstars like garam dharam he loves it i mean he still calls himself garam dharam with pride or shatrugan sinha who still calls himself shotgun sinha or dream girl hema mali i can give you so many some of them were not so flattering but that's the nature of the job and movie stars really should learn to take themselves a little less seriously so the the intent was never to destroy anybody so i have also heard stories that you were offered society magazine because the film fraternity went complaining to nari hira to get her out from this space and let us breathe so he created a magazine for you which was of a different dimension and more mainstream can you imagine a sindhi businessman taking such a decision because of pressure from a film fraternity which he didn't give a damn about knows the idea of society was entirely mine and i was kind of done with stardust had been the editor for 11 or 12 years there was nothing fresh nothing new i could contribute it was uh, there was a pattern which was already set and it was in place and the team was doing a terrific job and they, they, it's still around which says a lot pretty much in the original format or whatever it's worth with the same masthead and with the same uh, neeta's natter so society was very much my brain, brain child because i felt there was a strong market need for a magazine that also celebrated people in other fields it could be writers politicians painters um, people who were extraordinary in their own ways and uh, it was genuinely a people people magazine there was a people magazine in existence uh, internationally in it was very very popular but that was very much a pictorial visual magazine with very little text here i wanted a magazine that had as much text as it had exclusive shoots and which really showcased a new india and uh, i believe that's still around as well in a digital format but yes i enjoyed setting it up and then around this time you turned an author and your first book or the second book they said was all about sex and you're writing about sex and that's why you are so popular well how why not if that's the that's the way i was perceived i have no problems with it the first book had no explicit sex, sex whatsoever there was not one single scene which could be called sexually provocative it was about um, a failing marriage and it was about disappointment in marriage and about a woman walking out of a marriage not because she was being abused or tormented or tortured but because she was bored now and 
and she couldn't see the rest of her life lived in boredom. Now that in itself was considered, I suppose, very provocative and extremely revolutionary. Uh, the second book, Starry Nights, which was about Bollywood, I could not possibly write a chaste, pure book, puritanical book about an industry that thrives on masala and is very much a part of people's fantasies and uh, sexual lives. And in any case, I felt strongly then, as I do now, that uh, in India, there's a far too much hypocrisy uh, surrounding sex uh, or talk, talking about sex. It's a subject that's swept under the carpet. And especially if a woman is writing about sexuality in whichever form she to, it's a huge threat to our wonderful puritanical society, which of course we have created more than 1.3 billion people without having sex. And women are supposed to be invisible, sexless creatures. Well, I was not one to in any way uh, go down that route. So my books are unapologetically modern books which include sex, but are not exclusively about sex. So I'm very sorry to disappoint those because there are a lot of readers who come and say, but this book is not sexy. They were the ones looking for it. It wasn't me that was writing it. And so then they would ask me questions. It's like there was a quota there determined that is there, which should be there. And that if it was not there, then they'd feel let down. So who's sex obsessed? the reader or me? I mean, you decide. You know, in fact, it requires a lot of imagination to write erotica. And yes. you are the first one who started it, doing it in your way. And uh, of course, it became an accusation later. Uh, the next cliche is that you are the only one who is writing columns in all the top publications. Almost every day there is a column appearing somewhere either digital or in the real paper. And they're saying it's because the editors don't want to refuse you. Oh my God, I love that. All these uh, editors who my children are at, uh, they all have a fixation about me or also my, my looks are selling my columns as well. You know how these things work, Bhavna, better than me uh, or as good as I do. It's, a, it's a completely driven by a reader response. And today, editors only pick those columnists whose columns are read and uh, uh, respected. So if I've been a columnist in all the leading publications for over 40 years and reaching an incredible number of people through those columns, um, I hope is because the algorithms are dictating the editor's decision and uh, uh, not because they find me an attractive columnist. I'm sure there are hundreds of columnists much younger and perhaps even far more provocative in their writing or far, or far more relevant. I just feel wonderful that from uh, my contemporaries, I'm probably the only one who's still being read as with as much enthusiasm and that I continue to be relevant. And that takes a lot of hard work. And I wish I was... Uh, you know, um, um, someone like a Mayavati or a Mamata uh, Didi who could terrorize editors and say that if you don't carry my columns, they close. What can I do? What I'm not a gabar singh, uh, you know, parading as as a columnist. So anyway, but it's a cute uh, cliche. I love it. But seriously, uh, what do you think works about your columns? Why are they in demand? Because they are readable and they're always uh, on point, which means that if it's a 
something about Pakistan, if it's about Imran Khan, whether he's going to make it or not, if it's a confidence vote that may or may not go against him, I will give the right perspectives in my own fashion. I can use satire, I can use wit, or I can use straight reportage, which relies a lot on um, my my ability to analyze international reports and uh, what other people are saying across the world about Pakistan, what they may be saying about how our equation may change. It's about geopolitics. So to write a column takes a, a, a lot of experience and uh, your own, uh, I suppose, um, aptitude to know exactly what the pulse of the nation is, what will reach a reader from, as the cliche goes, one more cliche, from Kanyakumari to Kashmir and across. And now that it's all digitalized across the world. So I get responses from across the world uh, for the columns. And I like to think that I'm doing an honest and competent job. It may not suit everybody's viewpoint and they may not agree with me, but that's the whole point of writing a column. It's meant to provoke a response. It's not meant to be a column that is towing anybody's line. And I'm completely non-aligned and uh, I have no ideology that I'm for this party or that party. I'm anti-so-and-so or I'm anti-so-and-so. But yes, I am very pro-people and I'm very pro-citizens. I'm very pro-freedom of rights. So my columns will reflect that. And whosoever happens to be in power, whichever leader and whichever government is in power, if I feel I have something to say, which may be critical, I'm not going to stop myself. I'm going to go right ahead and say it and take what comes with the territory, which is often uh, the worst kind of trolling and threats and morchas at my house and living under police protection for two years, which I did, as you may be aware of. And I like to think that I do my job honestly and I do it sincerely. And I've never, ever, ever skipped a deadline. So that already says something about professionalism. You know, one thing that keeps coming back all the time is that she's had it very easy, that she's a socialite. How lovely. I mean, uh, I don't have to be anything other than who I am. I know who I am. If they think of me as a lady of leisure, well, I'm certainly not uh, someone who's uh, starving. I'm certainly lead a comfortable life. I've earned every rupee that I've ever earned, honestly. And I'm proud of how I've lived my life on every level. And if my persona makes them believe that this is a socialite who is uh, at work, as Bhavna, you may know, my daily discipline at the writing table, then what a wonderful socialite role model to have. Fantastic. She leads a good life. She has the best time. She travels. She loves her khana, pina, everything. She's raised a big family, has seven grandchildren, and is still managing to do what she does. I think I could write a book on that. You know, like a lot of people who follow you on your social media, they tell me she's all the time having a good time. She's traveling. When does she write all that she does? Yes, I am. And I'm not skipping a single deadline. So maybe they can learn a little about uh, discipline because my my work schedule cannot ever be uh, tampered with or I would never take it lightly and I don't and I haven't. So whether I go to Sri Lanka or I go to Paris, how I do it, well, that's really, I think, my strength 
because I've never let my editors down because that's my commitment. I've never let my readers down. That's my commitment. And yes, I've never let myself down. I love having a good time and I'll continue to have a good time. And uh, yeah, God bless me. I mean, I hope I, I dance my way to the next uh, birthday, the next celebration. And we have many in our family. It's a large family. And we love, we love how we live and no apologies at all. So I think you have answered all the cliches. If there are any I'm left out, you can tell me about yourself. You want me to supply some more cliches? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We've talked about social media and what the perceptions are. So I'm often asked uh, by people, maybe you and I also know quite well, that how do you uh, preserve yourself? Because I'm 74. I'm very proud of my age. I've never hidden it. I've written a book about turning 70 and maybe there'll be one when I turn 75 next year. So the question of how I preserve myself comes up all the time. I could be at an international seminar. I could have spoken about human rights. I could have spoken about so many, so many issues that concern me about women. At the end of it all, the hands will go up and they'll ask me one question. Madam, how do you preserve yourself? So I always answer, I used to answer in vinegar. Uh, just like a good pickle, you <laughs> now I've stopped saying that. And I just say, and I believe that too, that if you feel good about yourself, chances are you look as good as you feel. And it's genetics. And I was blessed to be born into a family of, I think, fairly good looking people. And I haven't abused any of my um, genetic um, privileges. So I've not been into... Uh, indulging myself in ways that can be called an excess on any level. So I guess that helps. And I'm, I lead a disciplined life, as you know, I think. And uh, that doesn't mean I ever, ever starve. I've never stepped inside a gym. I don't have a personal trainer. So God has been kind. And not done any Botox and any... Uh... That, yes. She must have done had a lot of work done. That's the other thing. So to all those who think that, well, sorry to disappoint you, but it's a, a very informed decision that I've taken that never, ever, ever will I go in for anything that's intrusive and no surgical interventions. My lines are my lines. I own every bit of my lines, uh, the rest of my body, shapeless, shape, shapely, whatever you might think of it. I'm comfortable in my own skin and... Uh, and that's about it. So if this is a permanent testament where someone will say, oh, but on Bhavna's show, you said you will never go in for Botox or anything intrusive, invasive. Yes, this is for all times. I will repeat it. I haven't, I won't, and I won't ever in future. What is your next book about? Oh, that is something that I'm sorry, I never talk about because uh, as you know, my books all start with S, so I do believe in superstition. Until the book is done and ready to go out there, only one person shares that with me and that's my editor. And we have a little trust thing between us that it remains confidential and we have that special bond. You so, so have... wonderful chatting with you. Fut, 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 you are answering to the point and very great fun. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. If you have liked this episode, do comment. Do rate on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Hubhopper, Castbox, Spotify, GeoSavan, so that you get notified when we come next.
Stay tuned for the next episode with yet another guest. And until then, take great care of yourself.